When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Goldmine readers and now listeners, hello. Welcome back to the Goldmine Magazine podcast. I'm Patrick Prince, editor of Goldmine Magazine, the music collector's magazine, and also a mag that's been around since 1974, if you didn't know. Uh, you can go to goldmymag.com for more information. And this podcast, we're going to interview the author Craig Hopkins about Stevie Ray Vaughan. More specifically about Stevie Ray's first guitar called Jimbo, a 1951 Fender Nocaster that uh, Stevie's brother Jimmy Vaughan gave him. I mean, uh, Jimmy carved Jimbo himself in the back of the maple body of the guitar. And... Uh, Craig um, has written three books on Stevie Ray. For instance, uh, Day by Day, Not After Night, his final years, 1983 and 1990. You can get that at Amazon. And so uh, you could say he's officially a Stevie Ray Vaughan historian. So Craig and I are going to talk about Jimbo, the guitar, because uh, it's going up for auction at Heritage Auctions the last week of March. And get your checkbook handy ha.com if you have the cash to start the bidding um opening bid starts at uh, 200k um but it may be on your bucket list and you may have the cash uh quite a nice piece of memorabilia um but we'll have other stevie ray vaughn tidbits and fun facts we'll be right back with author craig hopkins after this message Hey, I'm Ronald Webb, and this is Patrick Prince. And together we host the Goldmine Radio Hour, the show that features the latest issue of Goldmine, the music collector's magazine. Tune in Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on CygnusRadio.com. I want to welcome Craig Hopkins, who has written three books on Stevie Ray Vaughan, right? Is that, is that correct, That's Craig? That's right. And uh, one, they each kind of built on each other. Why have you given such a lot of time to this particular guitarist? I developed a particular interest in Stevie. Um, I'd seen him play several times here in Texas. And uh, at the time that I first saw him in 1984, 
I wasn't really a fan of that style of music right. yet. Um, it was a lot of notes. <laughs> um, but I went with some friends and saw him in 84 and was just, you know, as a guitar player myself, I was just amazed at his technical prowess. Right. Um, and so I ended up wandering down, you know, to stand in front of the stage where I could see his fingers and um, was just captivated by his uh, by his ability. And and the music grew on me over the you know in you know ensuing years. Right. And then uh, when he passed away, I started reading what little information the newspapers and magazines were publishing about his life, and and just kind of got interested in his life story. It was very interesting, but there wasn't really a uh, there weren't any books yet about Stevie, and uh, no real comprehensive source of information. So I just started digging for information uh, in the library, and um, I ended up finding out that I lived just a few blocks from Stevie's uncle, wow. and we became good friends, and uh, from through him, I met Stevie's mother, and we were friends for 15 years, and uh, uh, just kind of got to know some of the band members from going to see him play and talking to him backstage, and... One thing just kind of led to another and um, uh, started a newsletter for Stevie's fans, which at the the beginning was was free. I did a quarterly newspaper that I just mailed out if people would send me a self-addressed stamped envelope, you know, back in in the day when when there was no uh, uh, internet uh, (laughs) going on. So, so like I say, one thing led to another and... um, Became acquainted with a lot of people who were close to Stevie, and um, um, the fans started asking for copies of back issues of the newsletter, and I didn't make any more copies than I had to. And so in 96, the first book was essentially just a compilation of all the newsletters I had done over the years, including the interviews I had conducted with everybody from... uh, people that played in early bands with Stevie to B.B. King. Well, you must, uh, uh, you could probably write a book now on Jimmy Vaughn. Um, He probably didn't get enough uh, research on that, right? (laughs) Uh, Have you interviewed him? Well, I have not. Oh, um, that's interesting. Jimmy's a whole different subject matter. Yeah, Uh, yeah. The brothers were very different, and... um, my interest was specifically Stevie, yeah. and uh, so I'll, I will leave the uh, Jimmy Vaughn biography to someone else. <laughs> I'm only saying that because uh, it leads to the next uh, question about, there's a connection here about the guitar that's going up for auction uh, called mm-hmm. Jimbo, uh, 1951 Fender Nocaster, and uh that that goes on up for auction soon, and it was given to him by his brother Jimmy Vaughn, um, who carved Jimbo into the back. And I don't think it was sort of like a, a peaceful gift giving. I think it was he wasn't he told by his parents to give it or something like that. Well, the story uh, about. Well, there's there's two different versions. One is that Stevie just kind of um, acquired it <laughs> by 
when Jimmy got oh, other guitars. Yeah. Um, and and the other story apparently arose from Stevie's roadie at the time, Cutter Brandenburg. Mm. And Cutter related a story one time that um, Jimmy's bandmate, Doyle Bramhall, who mm. later became Stevie's bandmate and co-songwriter, uh, Doyle was witnessing that they were fighting about this guitar, and uh, Doyle suggested that Jimmy just give it gotcha. to Stevie, and that way maybe he'd leave Jimmy's other guitars alone. Oh, um, you know, that's that's the source of that story. Now, whether Cutter's recollection was accurate, uh, there's no way to confirm anymore because. He and Doyle and Stevie have all passed away, and yeah. unless Jimmy wants to publicly comment about that story, there's really not anybody else who can verify. But anyway, that's that's the two versions. Uh, one that Stevie just kind of made um, his own when Jimmy got better guitars, and uh, Jimmy just kind of left him with it. And the other story is that, that Jimmy actually gave it to Stevie. So right. who knows? We'll have to ask Jimmy. <laughs> Well, it's uh, th- there's a reason why this guitar is so significant. I mean, it was his first. He developed his style on it. I mean, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he, and he played Jimbo, as it's called, when he first made his uh his first studio recording in 1970. And I think yeah. that's his uh, earliest known record. Yeah. yeah, the earliest known recordings. Yeah, the, when I was doing research for the biography uh, in the mid 2000s. Uh, you know, every time I talked to anybody who was in one of Stevie's early bands back in the 60s and 70s, I would ask them, uh, always ask them two questions. One, do you have any photographs? And two, do you know of any recordings? Right. And through enough detective work and tracking down as many of these guys that actually played in Stevie's I think I can't remember now if I counted 21 or 23 different bands, right. uh, most of which nobody had ever heard of. Um, anyway, I tracked down a fellow in Fort Worth <clears throat> who had um, followed the band around a little bit when he was a teenager, and his dad had a reel-to-reel tape recorder that he would take into clubs, and he actually still had old reel-to-reel recordings mm. of Stevie's band in 1970. Mm. And, um, and, of course, at that time, Stevie was playing this guitar, Jimbo. Mm. Um, and the tone, even from these not-so-great recordings, uh, quality-wise, uh, you can tell the tone is significant. Stevie was already on a quest for, for good tone. And... Um, I also managed to track down the gentleman who was present during Stevie's very first studio recordings. Mm. Um, it was a it was a place here in Dallas that basically recorded jingles for the radio. But there was a promoter who had this idea that he was going to record Dallas high school bands um, and as a competition to find the next. Uh, what was the name of the outfit out of Fort Worth that has hit it big? Blood Rock, I think, was the mm-hmm. name of the band. Anyway, they were looking for the, the next North Texas band that was going to be a hit. And this is how the promoter decided he would do it, is he would just ask for each high school in Dallas to send a band. 
and they would each get a song or two on this recording. And so I found this place, and the, the gentleman who was the engineer uh, was still living in North Dallas, and he still had the master uh, of those recordings. And again, it's Jimbo that Stevie's playing on these very <laughs> first studio recordings. It's funny because I've heard, uh, you mentioned tone, uh, I've heard from other guitarists that Stevie Ray used some uh, thickest strings available for his guitar. I don't know if that uh, was the same for Jimbo. Um, and these, this had a significant role in how he developed his style. Is that true? Yeah, it is true. Now, I can't trace it all the way back to Jimbo. Mm. Um, it's possible uh, because some of the guys that I interviewed who played with him back in those days talked about Stevie's heavy strings. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it, it definitely started very, very early that he he liked heavy gauge strings. Um, yeah. And, and I, have, I have very little doubt, although I can't confirm it absolutely, that uh, that that would apply to the Jimbo guitar oh. as well. Well, what's what's what is amazing is that um, that he let this guitar go. Uh, of course, he tried to get it back. He traded it to a mm -hmm. North Texas music teacher, I believe. And I mean, mm -hmm. this guitar yeah. was so special to him. I mean, it was his first. He slept with the guitar. Um, why did he trade it? Um, just wasn't thinking. <laughs> Yeah, um, the guy. The guy's name is Jeff Apple, and I found him when I was again, you know, doing research for this book. And I talked to him, um, and he mentioned. Um, well, in fact, let me just read exactly what he told me. Okay. He says uh, I had an Epiphone with the small humbuckers, and it looked exactly like a Gibson three thirty five. I bought it in sixty nine or seventy for two hundred bucks. Um, Let's see, and then he goes on and he says, uh, a friend of his uh, was a pretty good bass player and was a nephew of a lounge piano player, Pee Wee Lynn. Uh, Lynn came over and said, I've got this kid I'm playing with, and you just can't believe how good he is. It's Jimmy Vaughn's brother. Yeah. And he says, this was, this was about 1971, and yeah. Stevie comes over and he picks up this... Uh, 12-string guitar, not not the one he traded for, but a 12-string guitar, and he starts bending the strings on it like they're Ernie Ball nines. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, how can you do that? And Stevie said, well, I got these hands, and he, he held his hand out, showing the muscle between his thumb and his index finger. Right. And it was, it was like this huge muscle. Um he says, my brother and I have arms like Popeye. <laughs> uh, anyway, he says... Uh, uh, he says he picked up the red Epiphone and said, I'd really like to have this. And the next time he came over with this, he called it a Telecaster, which we now believe is, is actually a, a Nocaster, the Jimbo guitar. Right. And he said he'd taken the finish off in high school shop. Huh. Uh, and and he'd routed out the, 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 the cavity for humbuckers. And uh, he said, uh, uh, Jeff said, look, you have talent. Take my guitar. I'm happy to take the Telecaster. Yeah. Uh, and he, and he, then he just said when he saw Stevie years later, Stevie asked him if he still had that uh, Jimbo guitar, and Jeff had already traded it away. And then it ended up at the Grammy Museum, correct? Yeah, it did. Um, and that went to the somehow, auction now? Um, 
Yeah, from from Jeff. He traded it away, and it, there's no telling how many times it might have uh, changed hands. Right. But somehow the story stayed with the guitar that it had belonged to Jimmy Vaughn, thus the Jimbo carved in the back of it, right. and, and his little brother Stevie. And it ended up in a Dallas recording studio, basically just kind of a, a guitar in the closet that anybody could pull out and play if they wanted. Right. Um, and then... Uh, a, a session musician at the studio negotiated to take the guitar for money owed uh, when the studio closed down. Huh. And that musician, a blues guitar player, uh, later sold it to the consigner for the auction that's coming up. It's kind of sad that he was looking for this guitar, too, and um, didn't get to find it. Um, yeah. Yeah, he, he told... Um, uh, an interviewer in '89, yeah, that he want he would love to find that guitar, and he'd pay a lot of money for it yeah. if somebody could could come up with it. Uh, but wow. at that time, the story never got connected to whomever owned the guitar at that time. So, with all this sentimental value it to it, what do you think the estimated monetary value is of it? They have a... I think the auction house has got it, you know, pretty pretty close to correct. I mean, they're they're going to start the bidding um, at two hundred thousand and and expect it to go to four hundred. I've been telling the consigner for ten years that yeah. the guitar is worth four hundred, yeah. based on the fact that the only other significant guitar of Stevie's that has ever been publicly sold at auction went for $623,000. Yeah. And that was the guitar they called Lenny. Yeah. And, uh, but you know, Jimbo is, I think more historically important than that guitar because like we were talking earlier, it's the guitar he started with. It's, it's what he played relentlessly as he learned his craft started on the road and started playing gigs and appearing in studios that's the guitar he was using and at the time it was his only guitar it's not like it was just one of many you know it was stevie's only guitar at that time and uh, And not only that but you know if somebody in the end, I mean, he had he w- regretted that he gave it away and was searching for it. That has a lot to do with the 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 heavy part of the story too. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, if you know, as far as the value goes, if there's somebody out there who's you know has the wherewithal to buy a Stevie Ray Vaughan guitar, one that is fully documented. Jimmy Vaughn has seen it. Jimmy asked that it be included in the museum exhibits with his yeah. own things of Stevie's that was touring the country. I mean, if, if somebody out there wants a genuine, important Stevie Ray Vaughn guitar, this is the only one. Yeah. The Lenny guitar was bought by the Guitar Center. They're not going to sell that anytime soon. And Jimmy has told me personally that he'll never sell any of Stevie's other guitars. I mean, he donated the Lenny guitar for charity for Eric Clapton's right. um, auction. So that was a special deal. 
You know, that was a charity event, a charity auction. So if somebody wants one, they buy Jimbo or they go home. I could see, you know, someone, uh, a well-known guitarist buying it. I really can. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But we'll we'll see what happens. I don't know if they'll reveal who it is or... Maybe they want them their name to be private. Um, but are you yeah. going to be there typically on site? Typically, that's the case. Yeah, it is typically the case. Are you going to be there on site uh, for the auction, uh, Heritage Auction? Uh, it's in Dallas. I, I will plan to be there. That's and, cool. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Well, a lot of collectors read Goldmine, and this is an exciting piece. So... You know, yeah, I hope I, I used hope it to does pour well. over gold mine with a with a magnifying <laughs> glass almost when, when when I was heavily into collecting records gold mine I just couldn't wait for it to come in the mail. It was the only <laughs> way to get it, get the records. I mean, you uh-huh. know, to, instead of the, since there was no internet, right? Um, right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, and uh, I look forward to seeing how the results are for this for this guitar where it goes. Um, of course, they may not say, but uh, it's a very interesting piece. And thank you for giving us background on it. Yeah, no problem. Thanks so much, Craig. Okay, thank you, Craig Hopkins. Thank you for coming on the Goldmine Magazine podcast. And thanks for talking about the Stevie Ray Vaughan guitar, Jimbo, that will be on auction later this March, courtesy of Heritage Auctions. You can go to ha.com and find out more information and what the bidding price will be. I'll leave it a surprise. We said it at the beginning, but uh, it's worth it if you got the money. Okay, well, thank you, everyone. Goldmine Magazine, pick it up at Books A Million, Barnes & Noble, and also select record stores. And also you can go to goldminemag.com and get exclusive stories, and also find out how to subscribe. We have a special now where you can download a free record guide with your subscription. Okay, thank you everyone. This is Pat Prince signing off. Until next time, peace. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.